This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Highland Park, nothing personal word of the day. It's Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. And the word of the day is a suburb in Chicago, Illinois, where another unbelievable mass shooting took place yesterday. And there's a lot to get to today after the holiday weekend. But I want to start not with a moment of silence because I'm not going to be silent. I want to start with a practical application of what happens when these shootings take place. Highland Park is located in a northern suburb of Chicago. So it's between Chicago, the downtown and Milwaukee. Having gone to the University of Wisconsin, I knew a lot of people from Highland Park. The former team psychologist for the Expos and Marlins, who's now with the White Sox, lives in Highland Park. My college roommate lives in Highland Park. The camp I went to is in Eagle River, Wisconsin which is Northern Wisconsin, and they get many, many kids from Highland Park. So they're up at camp having a July 4th celebration and all of a sudden word trickles in to the people who run the camp that there had been this shooting in Highland Park with people dead, no way to know who, really no idea to know what's happening. My first text was to Dr. Fishbein, he, the, the, good friend who became the psychologist, longtime sports psychologist. And he said, we know a ton of people at this parade. We're just waiting to hear. We think everyone's okay, but we're waiting to get the public list of those dead to see who we know. Because in Highland Park, the odds are everybody knows everybody. At camp, they pulled all the staff out of their activities during a break in between hugs, in between activities. And they spoke to the staff about what had happened. Why? Because there are kids there whose families and siblings are in Highland Park. And camp as insulated as you want it to be. When I was there, it was way more insulated. No one had cell phones. There was no way to know. The outside world just did not exist when you were at camp. With technology, that's totally changed. The kids are not allowed phones, but many of the older kids sneak them in. They pretend it's an iPod but it's really a phone. The counselors all have phones. The counselors are in touch with the outside world. It's very, very different than it was many, many years ago. 
So the director of the camp said, we got to get the staff together. We have to explain to the staff what went on. And then we're not going to tell the campers until we are good and ready and have all the information because now we're going to try to contact the families of all the kids from the Highland Park area to make sure camp has had its share of tragedies. A, a camper drowned in 1980, 81. Just a lot of a parent has died while a kid was at camp and the, one of the parents had to drive to camp to tell the kid and then to tell the people in the cabin. There have been kids who are just at life. Life happens. When events like this, when the shootings take place, you get an alert. This is what I was thinking about all day. You get an alert and you get it from all the various sources you have. It doesn't matter whether it's Fox or CNN. It doesn't matter. You get an alert, MSNBC, and you read it, and then you look for video, and then you think about, am I near there? Do I know anybody from there? Is this going to happen to me? Will this happen to me? I've started to think no matter where I am that there could be a mass shooting. It is definitely beginning to imp impact me. It's something I'm going to talk about with my therapist because I'm having a hard time leaving to go anywhere because I find that when I do, I'm looking around and I'm picturing like what happens if gunshots start? What's the exit strategy? Where would I run to? What would I duck under? Do am I looking like from car to car, like I'm in some sort of war zone? You know, imagining, uh, visualizing, which is just the type of person I am. I'm always visualizing. I'm visualizing the show. I'm visualizing the athletic events I do. I'm visualizing meetings that, I t that happen. I'm visualizing what happens with the team, what happens just in life. I'm a visualizer, and then I make the visual practice reality. So the visual is how do you personalize what's happening, and then what do you do to deal with that? So these kids are going to have to be told. And then the question is, what happens next? So after the Evaldi school shooting, we told you that we were going to take resumes and we were going to try to find someone, and that's what we're doing. We've narrowed down the resumes. We're going to be contacting the people who are the finalists, and we're going to set up interviews with me I'm going to be away starting on Thursday, but I will be back in August after going to Tanzania, Uganda, and Kenya. And we are then going to meet and we are looking at a Labor Day start, which will get our project underway and ready for not just midterm elections, but as we head into the next presidential cycle. We're also thinking about what sort of support we need for the show and for the things that we're trying to do here at Nothing Personal, not just on social media, but in terms of getting the message out, not just about the show, but what we do to try to make the world better, to try to educate people about different things that are going on, both on and off the field. So A, we have not forgotten about what we said we were going to do, but B, it continues to be more and more important to do it. And I don't get it. I don't get See, when I'm in business, I get everything. It just all makes sense to me. I understand what to do next. I understand how it's going to play out. It doesn't mean that I get it right every time, but I certainly can see what's happening. I've been racking my brain trying to see what's happening with our country and with the divide and with the politics and with people not listening and with people barely talking and with people just excusing sort of the new normal 
something's going to give. Can we all agree with that? If enough people have gun violence hit them, their families or their loved ones, eventually something's got to give, right? If you had 50 senators get impacted, I think that would likely make a difference. Maybe 51, a couple hundred members of the House, maybe enough voters in enough districts. Are you tired of reading when something happens in Illinois? Oh, they've got the strictest gun laws in the world. It's not about the guns. People quoting the Second Amendment incorrectly, of course, without any frame of reference. People talking about what our founding fathers were doing or not doing. I'm just as guilty of telling you what I think the founding fathers were doing. It doesn't make me right or wrong. It doesn't make them right or wrong. But the facts are the facts. The facts are that the amount of killings we have, 308 mass shootings so far in 185 days. What? what? It almost can't be. Now, mass shootings, David, that's just one or more dead and three or more injured. There's some definition. People get shot all the time. If four people get shot and it's a domestic abuse situation, that's a mass shooting. That's not a mass shooting. That doesn't mean I should be afraid. Someone gets killed on 95th and Lexington. Thank God the person knew the person they walked up to and shot. We feel a sense of relief when it's not random. Can you imagine the idiocy of that point of view, of the game your brain is playing on you, that you feel relief when there's something that's not random? You look at road rage and you say, it's totally normal in Georgia that a car pulls up to another car, pulls out a gun and shoots 14 times while it's being videoed and you say, I'll do better. I'm not going to flip off the car who passes me, who cuts me off. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to scream. I'm going to swallow it. There's going to be a Ghostbusters-like gurgle underneath all of our societies with all the stuff we are forced to swallow, with all the anxiety, with all the tension. It's going to cause an eruption. Are we ready? If we all change ourselves, I've told you my wine and water story. I'm not going to tell it to you again. If you haven't heard it, go listen to a previous episode. But suffice it to say, you can't turn water into wine. It's going to end up being water. But you got to start with yourself. When you're asked to bring wine, bring wine. When you're asked to make a change, make a change. Don't assume somebody else is going to make a change because they're all assuming you're going to make a change and then nobody's making any changes. And when no one makes changes, then everyone suffers because anyone is subject to unmitigated tragedy and disaster at any given second, no matter where. Is it hyperbole? You can't go to the theater. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to a nightclub. You can't get a massage. You can't go to a parade. The list goes on and on, but of course, we still go. Of course, life goes on. So the very thing that we're taught, the very notion of perseverance that gets us through the day, that helps us into the next day, that makes us not depressed, that makes us not stay in bed all day in the dark, the very thing that we're taught to do, life goes on, is the very defense mechanism that stops positive change from happening. We all say thoughts and prayers. We all do moments of silence. The sports teams get together. You got to make statements. Sure enough, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, Blackhawks, the MLS team in Chicago. Yes, I don't remember their nickname. All of them had statements. All of them worked on their statements. They release them, and they all say the same thing. That's what I did whenever there was a natural disaster, whenever there was a problem in Cuba or one of the 
Latin American countries or something in Florida, something in a different part of Florida than Miami. There's different types of statements when it's close to where you are. You have to have a certain tone when it's in your state, but not in your city. It's a different tone when it's not in your country, but it's a country of many of your fans. That's yet a different tone. And then there's a mathematical formula for what you're willing to invest from your foundation to help those impacted by the tragedy. When there's a mass shooting in Arizona, you have a moment of silence, make a statement, but you don't give money. When there's a mass shooting in Miami, you have a moment of silence, have a statement and give money. When there's a hurricane in Puerto Rico, you send supplies. When there's a hurricane in Miami, you do money and way more supplies with some player visits. There's a damn formula. All meant to make sure that you, the fan, believe that we, the team, are doing what we should be doing as a great member of our community. And it doesn't do squat. That's not to say that the people who are working so hard to help all the people in need, that's not to say it doesn't matter. So that is not what I'm saying. When I say it doesn't do squat, I'm talking about stopping the next one. But David, just take one at a time. All you can do is handle with what's in front of you. That's another good one. I like that defense mechanism. Handle what's right in front of you. This tragedy right now is in front of us. Take care of those families and then that's it. Up, oh, there's another one the next day. We'll worry about that tomorrow. All of the things we're taught. Don't worry about what you can't control. Take care of today. Take care of the now. The now when your team is saying, what do we do? Are we even going to play the game? One of your players dies. Don't play the game. Play the next day. People get shot in your neighborhood. Is it too close to your neighborhood? Do you need the police who are normally protecting the fans? Do they need to be out searching for a killer or handling the natural disaster that happened? No game. There's enough police. Pay time and a half. Have the game. Do a moment of silence and a food drive. Maybe a can drive. What do we do with the entertainment? These are all things you got to think about when you're president of a team. No music. We're not going to play any music. We're too sad. The shooting happened in another city across the country. We're going to do in-game entertainment with the moment of silence and a statement. It happened near where we are. We're going to do no in-game entertainment to be respectful. And we'll do some social media where we just talk about gun law statistics. Get it? It's an entire rainbow of possibilities. The Chicago White Sox said, we're going to do a moment of silence. We're going to play the game. Of course, you have to say in the statement that we spoke to Major League Baseball, but we're not going to have the fireworks celebration. Fireworks celebration was scheduled for post-game, post-White Sox game. Jerry Reinsdorf decided to cancel it. That would go all the way up to the president or the owner out of respect for what happened in Highland Park. I don't know. I'm 50-50. I think the show goes on. People paid tickets. They paid a premium to see the fireworks. Coca's view is no. You don't do the fireworks because people are scared, like in Orlando, like in Philadelphia, where there's shooters, or is it fireworks, or is it shooters? All day yesterday, here's what we watched. We watched Joey Chestnut eat over 60 hot dogs but have to attack a protester who interrupted. We saw... A killing in Highland Park during a parade, which is supposed to be like the Ferris Bueller parade, which everyone sits there and enjoys and watches. Then on top of that, we saw in Philadelphia active shooter shots, maybe, we thought, and people running in the streets. In Orlando, the same thing. And all I'm thinking is, that's it. It's not worth it. 
I didn't like going to those anyway, but now it's clinched. But for the people who did like it, everyone moves down the chain one notch. I won't miss it. Now I'm going to think about it, but I'm still going to go. I think about it and I go. Now I'm going to think about it. And if it's convenient, I'm going to go. I think about it. If it's convenient, I'll go. They move down to, yeah, I thought about it. It's not that convenient. I'm going to skip it. Yeah, I thought about it. It's not that convenient. I'm going to skip it. Move down to, I'm likely to never go again. The people who are I'm likely to never go again, move down to, I'm never going again. People move down the food chain of what risk is acceptable to them. It's like a conveyor belt. And you want to build back up. You want to get to the point where you can go back to doing the things that you did without having in your mind that you may need an escape plan. Without having in your mind you may need to stick your kid in a dumpster to protect him while you look for the other kids. You may have it in your mind that you don't know exactly like on an airplane, like you're going to go calmly toward the light of the door from the red lights on the floor in an emergency and very peacefully and calmly put the oxygen on yourself and then your kids and then let the women and children first. Did you ever see Titanic? I'm very frustrated today. I'm very frustrated because all of us are on that conveyor belt. All of us are saying the same things to ourselves. We can live with it. It was close, but no cigar, not us. We're all holding the cigar and we're all holding the lighter. It's only a matter of time until we light it, isn't it? There is sports going on and I'm not going to ignore it at all. You know, rehabs are funny. And I don't mean rehab for addiction. I mean rehab for injured starters. The media gets so excited about rehab starts. Did you read all of the Mets fans and the Mets writers and all the excitement of Jacob DeGrom's rehab start? He threw four pitches at triple digits. One even hit 101. Five strikeouts, one hit batter, an immaculate, perfect, not an immaculate inning. What a perfect rehab start Jacob DeGrom had. He's back. Max Scherzer's back from his oblique. He's going to pitch tonight in Cincinnati. The Mets have held on. The Braves made a run, but the Mets have held on and we're ready to go. Here's how rehab works when you run a team. You start, as I've told you, with the progression. You start at 60 feet flat ground for a pitcher, and then they throw at 100 feet, 120 feet. Then they get on the mound. Then they're throwing off a flat mound, then a big mound, a bump on the mound. Then they're throwing just their fastballs. Then you start with the breaking balls. Then you get simulated hitters in. And then you map out a rehab start. Rehab starts are when a player goes to the minor leagues, generally in Florida. Sometimes they go to their other cities where their double-A team is. And you pitch a regular game against players who are never going to be big leaguers. You go through a lineup where maybe there's a big leaguer. Maybe. Teams do not look at rehab results. Everything that you read about or the media talks about, that is not what we're looking for. We are looking for H-E-A-L-T-H, and that's I-T. Once in a while, we look at V-E-L-O-C-I-T-Y, but certainly not the first rehab start. As a matter of fact, if DeGrom is going to Hundo in his first rehab start, we're calling up DeGrom and saying, listen, 
I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but don't forget what the plan is. The plan is not to throw 100 against a bunch of 19-year-old non-prospects who are not going to be big leaguers. The plan is to pitch in October for the Mets so we can win a World Series for the first time since 1986. Are we clear? The plan is to get you through a rehab start, have you wake up the next morning. First thing you do is call in the trainer, tell the trainer, although likely they call their agent first. You tell the trainer, I'm good, I feel this, I feel that. Great. Call the GM, who calls the manager, calls the president, who calls the owner. Made it through one rehab start. See you in five days. Next rehab start. We're going to increase your pitch count. Let's say you go from 60 pitches in your first rehab start to 75 pitches in your next rehab start to 90 pitches in your next rehab start. That's already two weeks of rehab starts, right? If you think about it, 5, 10, 15, that's 15 days. Does it sound like spring training to you? That's what it is. Jacob DeGrom is in spring training right now. Are you the fan who gets excited when Jacob DeGrom pitches two innings in his first spring training start and gives up no hits, no runs, and say, he's ready, baby. He's our ace. Oh, my God. Our spring training pitcher, he pitched one inning, gave up four runs on three hits. He stinks. Get him off the roster. Come on. That's not how baseball people do it. We are not results-based in spring training for players who we know have jobs on the team. If you're fighting for the 25th man, we're going to look at results. But we're only going to look at results in the last two and a half weeks of spring training. That's it. It is not all that impressive when pitchers get out hitters early in spring training where the best hitters on the team are getting one at-bat, sometimes two at-bats, and you're bringing in guys with no names on the jersey wearing number 69. That's not the type of results that we're really focused on, just as an FYI. How do the Mets feel bringing DeGrom back when they're going to bring him back? Because it's going to be after the All-Star break. All of you who said he's going to be back before the All-Star break, do you remember when he first got hurt? I want to say it was, uh, I don't remember when it was, in March. He pitched two, I think he pitched two spring training starts, March 22nd and March 27th, and I'm not sure he pitched again. And then he had an examination and there was a thought, we're looking at June, and I said, no way. He's out till after the All-Star break. When you've got a problem with your shoulder, of course, which the Mets said, it's just bone. And that's what Jacob said too. Don't worry, it's bone, we're good. Bone heals. You'd rather have bone than tendon or labrum. That is true. Ligament, you'd rather have bone. But it still takes a ton of time. So we had to wait to see on May 18th that DeGrom wouldn't be back till after the All-Star break. We can't declare that as a win yet, but believe me, that's going to be a win. The Mets will bring him back. He'll pitch healthy for the rest of the season. He'll opt out of his contract, and somebody's going to give him $35 million a year for another four years. I don't know how that can be. So the Mets somehow survived. DeGrom and Scherzer out. And they're in a good position. They're still in first place. I think they have a three and a half game lead right now over the Braves, who were one of the hottest teams in June, unlikely to match that again in July. It is rare to have back-to-back months like that. So it's one of those situations where, in theory, the Mets had those 20-point leads in the NBA where you spend all the energy to come back, you tie the game, but then lose by seven. 
that's what the Mets are thinking the Braves did. They blew everything just to get back to three and a half or two and a half, and they're going to cool off. The problem is there's still an entire half season to go. So it's not exactly that I'm saying the Mets aren't going to win the division, although maybe I am saying that. What I am saying, though, is that the front office of the Mets is thrilled, no matter what they say publicly or privately. When you have a season where your top two starters don't pitch for you for extended periods and you're still in first place, no matter how crappy your division is, you don't need to sugarcoat it. That's the greatest result possible. So for all of the doom and gloom Mets fans out there, do me a small favor and just know you're in a great position. All right. Ah, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to review This Is Us, a six-year series that I finished in the last three weeks. And then we're going to talk about another rehab story that made me laugh in Chris Sale. And we're going to get to today for sure what the Pelicans did with Zion Williamson, which was mind-blowing. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. Thank you for hitting follow on Apple, wherever you are listening to your podcast. Follow it, subscribe, tell your friends about what we're doing here. And you can also get on the YouTube channel. Uh, Today is Tuesday, July 5th. There will be a show tomorrow and Thursday. And then I am heading to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, hopefully run a marathon from the summit of Kilimanjaro. in in Tanzania, and then going to Uganda and Kenya, and then back to safari in Tanzania, Zanzibar to see where Freddie Mercury was born and hung out. I will be gone until the beginning of August, but there will be shows while I'm gone. Almost three times a week instead of five times a week. And all the shows that we're gonna do are from you. They're mailbag episodes, all interesting that we've recorded, and I think you will enjoy them. Don't let all of my fears come true. Don't you disappear. Don't you forget about me. I'll be alone dancing. You know it, baby. That's for you, Highland Park. Do you know the connection? John Hughes, who did The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles. All of those movies were all filmed and based in the Chicago suburbs, Highland Park and around Highland Park. Okay, so when we tell you to watch The Bear, and you do, and then you get to me on Twitter at David P. Sampson and tell me how much you liked it, I take a lot of pride in that. When Coca tells me to watch something, and I watch it, and I love it, he takes pride in that. When I tell you to watch something, and you watch it and love it, I take pride in that. The eight episodes of The Bear, when, when we tell you to watch something, and it's a binge like that, it's just like seeing a four-hour movie, I expect that you will do it, and I expect that you will love it. What do I do when there's 103 episodes of a show? 
about three weeks ago for a reason that I cannot explain other than I saw a commercial on NBC for a finale of a show called This Is Us. I had never heard of it, which is inexplicable given that I watched the Emmys and given that I try to know what's going on. It's just, it, it is inexplicable. That said, I was watching a movie for uh, one day and the movie finished. So I, I had something to review the following, nothing personal. And I had, I wanted to watch one more hour of content. And I went to the various streaming services, got to Hulu. And for whatever reason, there was a thumbnail of This Is Us. I had never looked at it before, if it had been there. What query was it there because I'd been thinking about it? That worries me. But I watched the first episode from six years ago, 2016, of This Is Us. It's a 43 minute episode. I have Hulu without commercials, so it takes 43 minutes. After 43 minutes, I could not believe what I was watching. It is a show that takes you from the past to the present to the future and intertwines stories in a way that is almost impossible to believe a writer could come up with and a writer could so perfectly not just write, but then an editor edit. It is a show about a family. It's a show about a family that doesn't resemble my family because the father is so unbelievable, played by Milo Ventimiglia. There's no doubt I got that name wrong, Coca, by the way. There is no doubt. Mandy Moore plays the mother. A bunch of different actors play the children because you see the children as kids, as adults. It's a generational sweeping series. I was hooked on it after one episode. And it's like when you read a book and after the first three pages, you're done. You are going to read that entire book. And when you have to leave to do something else, you are going to be so excited to get back to the book. That's what This Is Us has been for me for the last three weeks. I had to watch other content because I didn't want to review This Is Us until I finished the whole series. So I could only watch a few episodes at a time until this weekend, when instead of hanging out by the pool at the wedding I was at, instead, I watched 12 episodes on Saturday because I wanted to get to the end of season six and I couldn't stop. Out of 103 episodes, my eyes welled up in 101 of them. I had full out tears in 101 of them. Tears of sadness, tears of joy, tears of regret, tears of humor, laughed. Every type of tear you can imagine. You will relate when you watch this show. If you don't relate to one of the characters, you have no self-actualization of any kind. There will be a character in this show where you'll say, that's me. This is how I would react to that. This is how I did react to that. I feel what they're feeling. I'm thinking what they're thinking. I cannot imagine how they found a way to exhibit the way I deal with situations. I promise you'll say that. Some people have told me it's too heavy. They watched for a couple of seasons and then it was too much. They couldn't handle it. I will grant you that I'm a glutton for emotional punishment. I need to examine that going forward. It's on the list. It's not top five, but it's on the list. 
but I crave feeling that emotional sadness or happiness when I watch movies or when I watch shows. I want to find things that are relatable. I want to understand how other families work to compare them to my family, to my childhood, to when I was raising children or when I was there when the children were being raised by their mom. What are the ways that I can relate and how? And then how do I get myself to feel after 17 years in organized professional sports where I made it my business to never feel? That's a complicated situation, isn't it? Six seasons, 103 episodes. Start now. Take your time. I'm not saying three weeks is the right amount of time but you will not be sorry. To all the writers, the director, Ken Olin from 30-something, the producers, the stars, from Sterling K. Brown to Chrissy Matz to Justin Hartley to Mandy Moore to Ron Cephas Jones. There's so many guest stars throughout to the kids who played the kids, to the teens who played the teens, to Alexander Breckenridge, all I can do is say thank you. Thank you for giving me almost 100 hours of introspection, of satisfaction, and of absolute deep, deep feeling. This is us. Chris Sale plays for the Red Sox. Did you know that? Do you remember that? Do you remember the show we did, Coca? God, it's got to be early on in Nothing Personal. When, Chris, when John Henry, the owner of the Red Sox, was forced to sign Chris Sale to an extension after the Red Sox had won a World Series with Chris Sale and they signed him to this ridiculous extension. I don't have the stats because it doesn't matter, but I can only assure you that since that extension, he's been about as good as Steven Strasburg since his extension. He's been hurt. When he's back, he's not very effective, but everyone still thinks he's the Chris Sale of old. The Red Sox have turned their season around. They are firmly in the playoff hunt. I expect them to be a wild card. That's a first, Coca. That's a during show sneeze. I have no great explanation for that. I've coughed. I've done quiet sneezes. That was a loud one. Do you ever sweat after you sneeze? I'm sweating. Where were we? Nothing personal pick of the day. Oh, no, we were talking about Chris Sale. Thank you, Coca. <laughs> All right, give me a minute. All right, definitely don't put that in. That was ridiculous. Okay, four, six, nine. Chris Sale has only pitched in 34 games since he signed his extension. That's one season. He saw signed a five-year, $145 million deal. Do you remember when it was? Pre-COVID, a year before COVID. March of 19. Chris Sale is on rehab now. The Red Sox have a very good shot of being in the playoffs. I expect them to be in the playoffs. And everyone's all excited, thinking this is their trade deadline acquisition. We used to do that. The Red Sox shouldn't do that. The Marlins would do it. When you get back an injured player, you say, that's our addition. Although we made a lot of other additions, so I don't want to say we didn't. But you would just be able to spin it to your clubhouse and spin it to your fans. This is a huge advantage we have by getting an injured player back. The Mets are certainly saying that. Hey, we're getting DeGrom back. So then the guessing happens. Like with DeGrom, when is Chris Sale going to come back? The thought was that he would come back as early as this week and pitch in a game. 
And the manager of the Red Sox is a guy named Alex Cora. Alex Cora said, hey, there's no way that he's pitching Wednesday because he's starting in Worcester. And they've already sold out their game. People went crazy. You care more about selling out a minor league team, selling out a minor league game versus having your pitcher pitch for you in the big leagues? Folks, Cora was kidding. But the point is a good one. As a major league team, we don't care about having a pitcher pitch in a certain city that's a minor league city. While that city gets all excited and the teammates get all excited, like when Max Scherzer did a rehab game and then bought them all prime rib and then bought them all AirPods, that's what you do when you're a rich. When you are a uh, mediocre or making the minimum at the big leagues and you go out and rehab, you don't buy the spread. The spread is the food post-game. And in the minor leagues, the post-game food is always mediocre with mostly doses of crappiness, much of which you've read about. Just look at the minor league alliance to see what's happening. But when you've got a pitcher who makes 10, 20, 30 million a year or a position player and they go to rehab, the rule is every time, every time, not one time, not sometimes, not if you're white, black, doesn't matter. Every pitcher, every time. That player buys the spread for his teammates who he just played with. He also signs jerseys, autographs. Max Scherzer did it. Jacob deGrom did it. The teams who are hosting this major league player, they give him the big locker, they get him all set, they try to make him feel as comfortable as possible. The marketing people for the minor league teams get the word out in their community that they've got Chris Sale pitching. They do dynamic pricing, they increase the individual ticket prices. There's local media coverage. It is a very big deal for the minor league communities when they've got a big league pitcher like a Chris Sale or Jacob DeGrom. For the big league team, it matters not. Do you know how quickly I'd pull a pitcher from a rehab game if I wanted that pitcher to pitch in a major league game because I was told by the doctor and the trainer and the GM that it would be fine? And then your player development people call you who have to have the relationship with the minor league affiliates and your player development person says, he can't do that. They were counting on him being there. Don't do that. Let him pitch there. And I'd say, are you kidding me? I could not care less that the people in Worcester or Jupiter or anywhere are about to see Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer pitch. My job is to win at the big league level. If I've got the best chance to win at the big league level with this particular pitcher, then that's what we're going to do. Hard stop. Alex Cora joking about it brought up all sorts of these memories from these decisions that we made over the years on where pitchers should go because we would talk about where to do rehabs. Do you know that if we had, this is horrible, Coca, side note story. If we had, there are affiliate agreements. That is when the big league team does an agreement, let's say with Albuquerque, which is a triple A team to get to play your AAA games in Albuquerque. If that affiliate agreement is running out and we really want to renew it, but Albuquerque is saying, we don't know if we want to be with the Marlins because we'd like to be with a different team who spends more money on AAA players. So we'll have better, more veteran players, fringe major leaguers, which will make our team better, which will make us able to sell more in Albuquerque. Can you promise us what type of player we're going to have here in Albuquerque? When Jeffrey Loria owned the Oklahoma City 89ers, 
they were the AAA team for the Texas Rangers. I was not involved, but he was very much in touch with George Bush, the owner of the Rangers at the time, saying, give me more players. He would speak to the head of player development. Give me better players. We want to win in Oklahoma City to bring a championship to Oklahoma City. That is a great thought. Then Jeffrey Laurie became a major league owner and stopped caring whether there were championships on the minor league side. Yeah, we got him a ring when, that, when it happened. We all got rings. The GM, president, owner, you get rings when your minor league teams win championships. I still have them. Nah, we don't care anymore. The goal is to win at the big league level. That sounds really sort of harsh, doesn't it? It's quite true, though. Alex shouldn't have joked about that. Okay, we had the Brewers over the Pirates on July 1st, and that was a winner. We're back to 11 games over, 75 and 64. The pick of the day today is the Atlanta Braves over the St. Louis Cardinals. The Braves, who are chasing the aforementioned Mets, are H-O triple T. And they're a better T-E-A-M than the Mets. Don't tell Mets fans. Don't tell Coca. Don't tell Scott. Don't tell anyone. But I think don't tell Jack either. Actually, half of CBS there are Mets fans. That's pretty funny. Braves over the cards. All right, time to talk about Zion Williamson. I've seen a lot of stuff since the NBA free agency started. A lot of signings. We're still trying to figure out where Kevin Durant is going to go. We're still looking at these numbers. Football players look at the numbers that the NBA players get, and they're so jealous. Baseball players look at the numbers. We would have these discussions. Every free agency in the NBA happened during this happens during the baseball season and we'd sit in the clubhouse pregame having a, a snack getting an omelet on a Sunday maybe even a donut a salad before a night game maybe some chick-fil-a whatever the case may be talk to the players and the players would know every NBA signing and what they did was they would compare their talent skill in big league baseball versus the basketball players talent and skill in the National Basketball Association. And they would say, I'm a way better player in baseball than they are in basketball. And they just got $94 million and you're paying me $450,000. Or you're giving me 2 million after an arbitration fight and this guy's getting 8 million. And I'd say, that's true. Why don't you ask your union? how this all went down. Ask your union why there's no salary cap and salary floor. Ask your union why you want 26 jobs per team, 25 jobs per team, and then get back to me. So they'd go talk to their agents, they'd talk to the union, and they'd come back and say, all right, we're not willing to give you a salary cap. And the reason we're not is that the high end, this is what we've been told, the players would say, the high end of the salary structure needs to be protected because those are the powerful people in the union and the agents who represent them are the powerful agents in the union. Okay, no more talking about it then. Then the next year, the same thing would happen. They'd come back and say, can you believe this guy got that? This year it happened, not on the baseball side because I'm not in the clubhouse anymore. Zion Williamson, the number one pick, the great player for the New Orleans Pelicans, the franchise savior, the man who led to a thousand standing ovations, the man who's bringing a ring to the Bayou, is getting $193 million over five years from the Pelicans. That's the same man who missed 88 games in the last two years, 
Didn't play last year at all, by the way. Fractured his foot. But he's back and better than ever. There's TikTok videos showing him slamming and making these moves and one-on-one drills. If he makes all NBA or defensive player of the year, some other such stuff, he can get up to $231 million. So you may have read that number. But here is the question when you are running the Pelicans. Do we let Zion's contract expire and then try to sign him? Do we sign him the first minute that we can sign him to show that we are still committed to him, to show our fans that we're committed to him? We brought in CJ McCollum. Maybe we can trade for Durant. We've got to keep Zion. We can't keep reading that John Morant is a better player. We are not willing to give up. That is what front offices say, and it is so silly. Our egos are so big that we are never going to admit that we made a mistake. Even if it takes you nine years like Mark Appel to make the big leagues, we're going to say, hey, that was our first overall pick and he made the big leagues. We drafted Zion and he was worthy of the max. That's the mentality. That's what people say. When you sign a player to a max deal, you say he was worthy of that. This was the right move. Even when you know deep down, how do you have that conversation with your owner when he's missed the number of games that he's missed? And it's not just one thing. From a fractured foot to a fractured finger to a thumb to a toe to a knee to an ankle to a meniscus, it's always something. 85 of 232 games this guy's played. It's the same thing that the Yankees are saying to themselves about Aaron Judge. What do we do? This guy misses too many games. When you are paying Zion $40 million a year and he's playing half a year, you're paying him $80 million a year. Uh, but that's not the way it works with the salary cap. It's always 40 Whether he plays one game or 82 games, it's the same 40 That's not how we look at it. We're looking at it from a production standpoint. We're trying to maximize the use of our dollars, especially when there's a salary cap. You've got to allocate your cap in a way to make sure that you can compete because you've never won anything in New Orleans. Why sign him now when you can wait? Make him prove health. Make him play the last year of his deal. Then if he gets a super max, he gets a super max. If you let him go, you let him go. If you do a sign and trade, you do a sign and trade. Why get married to a specific player just because you feel like you're forced to because you drafted him? Because you chose to go 1-1 with him. Why do we all do it? Ego. We're trying to convince you to think we know what we're doing. We spend half our time trying to convince you to believe that we know what we're doing so that you'll tell other people we know what we're doing so the owner will hear that you guys think we know what we're doing and then we'll get to keep our jobs. Forget the fact that there's a record that actually does wins and losses. Forget the fact that we know we're all hired to just get fired. We try to delay that as long as possible with your help. And owners just... It's like hooking a fish. They're just so happy. Oh yeah, let's take Zion. We'll sign him to the max. We'll do a press conference. We'll get to say we keep our own guy. We'll get to change the narrative. We'll give him 325 million over 13 years just to say we did. It's insanity. And we do it over and over again.
I always got to excuse it by saying it's just business. This is nothing personal. 